Welcome, guys. It's good to see you this morning. All right. We've got uh, some stuff to do. Uh, you guys ready? Yeah. <laughs> right on. Let's go. Why don't you uh, grab your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 5. Do you remember when uh, you counted it as a compliment when somebody said, you're so immature? <laughs> I remember when I'd hear that from my sisters, Brett, you're so immature. I, I was like, yes, mission accomplished. Um, I would always play, play tricks on my sisters and stuff. They, they, Tammy particularly uh, would do, you know, reciprocate quite profoundly sometimes. Um, but, but uh, you know, I always knew that when, when I got that response, you're so immature, but there's a point in life where uh, you don't start thinking that really as a much of a compliment anymore. And, and where is that point in life when you're um, supposed to sort of grow up a little bit um, and mature? Um, when did you first feel like you were actually a real um, grown up? Do you remember that age? I, some of you, it might be different depending on what kind of responsibilities you had. Um, maybe uh, as a kid, you were given some big responsibilities and maybe you had to grow up faster than some other people. But, um, but as, as it goes on you know, in life, um, as it turns out, the Bible talks a lot about a man's maturity or immaturity. But as it turns out, it's something that God really cares about um, according to his word. And, and um, I think we begin this discussion really this, this morning in Hebrews chapter five, verses 12 through 14. Many of you are familiar with this passage, but uh, this will be our starting text for the day. Hebrews 5, verse 12. There, the author of Hebrews says, For when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a baby but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I've figured it out. The best steak is not at El Gaucho's or, or Rib, uh, Ruth Chris's. Um, it's not even at my house. And although I have, uh, I have figured out the, the tomahawk. Is anybody, you guys like the tomahawk? Ooh, it's basically a giant ribeye steak and the bone's still on there. And, and um, man, I, I just, I found this uh, particular combination of, you, you put it on the Traeger for a couple hours, as low as you can go, and just smoke it for a few hours. Because, you know, the, the, the tomahawk is about, is usually two and a half, three inches thick. It's a thick cut, almost, almost like a prime rib in some ways. So smoking it, I, I like to get a little bit of a smoke ring around the edge. Uh, but it's all about the, uh, putting the, you know, the bark and getting the crust on the outside just right first. And I, I found the perfect combo. I'm not gonna tell you what it is. <laughs> um, and, and then what you do after smoking it, um, then I get, and, and you know, I've got, you got the grills and the gas, stuff like that, but to get it right, you've gotta get the old school Weber with the briquettes. And I fire those bad boys up. So it's smoking on the Traeger, get the briquettes just as hot as I can get them, and then just flash cook them. Tss, tss, on both sides, uh, and then, then after I flash cook them, I bring them back to the Traeger and set them in there, turn the Traeger up, um, and then while it's getting up to temperature, um, I have this garlic, butter, rosemary, thyme kind of combination thing that I just start brushing on them just to kind of put a glaze over that bark on the outside. And, uh, and there it just kind of simmers, and then you, you gotta get the temperature. I like to pull it about 120 uh, because uh, so many guys overcook. When I grew up, my dad, you know, he likes his uh, steaks. Well, they kind of remind me of the briquettes that I put on the, uh, uh, he likes his, like really, really cooked. Uh, but, um, but Debbie's the one and, uh, and her mother actually got me to where I was actually willing to try a steak a little more, a little more on the pinker side. And, and now I'm pretty much like uh, my meat still moving. You know what I mean? It's like, once you realize all the flavor, you, you can't overcook them. You guys that are stuck in your well done thing, you gotta mature and move from childish <laughs> things. Um, it's, it's, it's just the truth. I'm just telling you. 
Um, so you pull the steak at about 120 and, and you say, well, that's pretty early, but it still cooks, you know, for a while. And you let it rest for about 15 minutes, um, maybe brush some more butter and garlic stuff on the outside. Um, but I'm telling you, it, 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 you'll never go back to any other steak uh, after that. It's just the best. Um, by the way, I found this guy on uh, YouTube. This is all freebie for you guys. Um, <laughs> Um, how to barbecue right. I know that sounds trite and like, uh, who knows? This guy is a pure genius. How to barbecue right. If you're looking for the guy, like if you're doing a prime rib or any kind of cut of meat, he's got a tutorial that is uh, over the top. And the funnest part is watching him enjoy his eating it afterwards. It's it's almost like that's the main thing. You're like, because he just enjoys steak so much. It's it's, uh, pretty pretty funny. But anyway, all that to say, The best steak though, even more than if you came over to my house and had a tomahawk, is the steak of the word of God. I think that's the idea here. We're supposed to be going, ooh, I could go for a good steak right now. Um, but, but, But then you think about, there's people that are supposed to be eating the ribeye's hot tomahawk steak, but they're still breastfeeding. That's the idea. They're still nursing babies. That's what the Bible say, or you're still a baby, it says here, when you should have been eating the ribeye steak which is the word of God. The word of God, doctrine, strong teaching of the word. Um, do you guys remember, oh, a decade or so ago, um, maybe more, there was a cover, I think it was a Time magazine that shocked the world. And they didn't think it was gonna be a shock, but it, it, it freaked everybody out because there was this mother breastfeeding her like six-year-old child. Do you remember this? It was, her son was breastfeeding at six-year-old and it showed this on the front of Time magazine and, and everybody was shocked. Um, but, but Time Magazine and the mother that was on the cover was shocked that people were shocked. Um, and it was almost like somebody didn't get the memo. Yeah, uh, six years old, breastfeeding. It's a little embarrassing, let alone putting that poor. Can you, can you imagine that kid now? He's probably like 18, 19 years old. He's like, oh man, I was on the cover of a Time Magazine breastfeeding at six years old. Like that poor kid, he's probably getting counseling as we speak. <laughs> But the idea, this is the imagery that the Bible's trying to get us as men to see that, man, there's a time to be weaned from your mother's breast milk and go to the big ribeye steak. And the the analogy is that of the, the things of scripture and the doctrine and the teaching of the word. And he says, you guys, by now, the writing to the Hebrews, you guys should have been eating the ribeye, but you're still breastfeeding. And, and what does that mean? They, they were still in the very beginning level understanding what Christianity was all about and what doctrine the Bible teaches about salvation and stuff like that. And the question I, I would ask for us to think about is, how mature are you in things of God and his word and the scriptures? Are you a man? Whoops, uh, got too much stuff going on up here. Um, are you a man or are you still breastfeeding? But that's insulting, but that's the Bible. The Bible is sort of giving us this ridiculous A and B. You're either a breastfeeding baby or you're scarfing down on a ribeye steak. Which one are you? when it comes to things of the word of God. And, and, and the Bible puts this huge priority on, on this idea of spiritual maturity. Remember in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, um, there it says, when I was a child, I spake as a child and I understood as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Um, interesting just question for you to think about. I'm not asking for a, a real response. It's more rhetorical, I guess. But do you feel like men are more mature today in general, whether we're talking about you know, scripture or just anything, are men more mature today than they were maybe a generation ago? Um, if, if you compared the man of, oh, say 1945 um, to, the, to the same man, you know, say a 20 year old, 25 year old man to, today versus a 20 or 25 year old man of 1945. Um, I don't know, I wasn't there. But I, I did get to know that generation, you know, as my grandfather's generation, and, and, and I got to know a lot of his buddies, and, and there was just a little difference uh, in, in, in the way men carried themselves back in those days. Uh, maturity. Uh, I was sitting in Jerusalem uh, one day, and um, it was, there's, there's some interesting things about, you know, it being in Israel. Um, one thing, the guns are everywhere. Um, and you know, when, when, um, I bring our Portlanders, uh, to Jerusalem, it's always funny to watch people's response, you know, like we'll be going down the street and, and you see there's a nice little kindergarten class going on a field trip in Jerusalem and the kindergarten teacher has an Uzi 
and the escort has, you know, uh, some Tavors, a couple Tavors with a can on the end. Like, um, like uh, and they're just going down the street. And at first our group is kind of like, oh, guns, you know, that whole thing. Um, but it's funny when you're in Israel, what you realize is, wow, that, that kindergarten class is actually pretty well protected. Um, uh, and and uh, you, you almost start to realize, wow, there, there's a reason why, you know, the, the terrorists have had to resort to using kitchen knives to cause their terrorism rather than, you know, bombs and stuff. In the, in the last decade or two now, Israel's been really pretty safe from those kinds of things. And they've, they've been very unsuccessful in causing havoc, even though they had in previous times. But all that to say, so, you're, you know, I was sitting in a pizza joint in Jerusalem. I know it's a shock, but... Um, uh, Pizza in, in Israel is nothing like pizza here, I, I, I have to say, but um, uh, you can't mix meat and cheese in, in Jerusalem. That's a real problem for me. But, um, but uh, I, was, I was there and, and uh, me and some of the eighth Greek guys were sitting there and all of a sudden these teenage girls come walking in and they're all, you know, IDF and they're all carrying uh, M16 rifles. It's so funny, they're, they're, they're walking in and, and it, I, I think they were probably like 19 maybe uh, years old or who, who knows, but, but they walked in and they sat down and kind of, you could tell they were looking around the room, making sure everything's good and sit down and put their rivals in different, but just watching these, these girls from Israel. Now you have to understand in, in Israel, you know, um, if you're an Israeli citizen, you do serve in the military. It's just your deal, everybody serves. Um, and the guys serve for three years, the girls serve for two years minimally. Um, but it's, it's interesting because as, as me and some of the eighth year guys saw these girls, we were like, wow, these teenage girls could kill us right now. And it just, it just felt a little weird, these teenage girls. And, and then we started comparing sort of the attitude and demeanor of these you know, 19, 18, 19 year old girls sitting in a pizza joint in Jerusalem versus 18 and 19 year old girls that would be sitting in a pizza joint in America. Um, you know, uh, at the time we were like, yeah, the girls in America, they'd be talking about Britney Spears and, uh, and about their makeup and, and what clothes they're wearing and all this stuff. These girls were, were probably, it looked like they were having fun and all that, but, but there was, it's funny because uh, in Israel, one of the things that they've actually sociologically looked at because of the military and the seriousness of being in the military in Israel, the, the kids grow up faster and, and become way more mature early in Israel than just about any other country in the world. While, you know, a kid's 19, 20 years old, we're, we're trying to get a lot of our American kids out of the basement from playing Halo or whatever. Um, while in Israel, those guys are just coming off of literally uh, guarding the border where rockets are flying over the, the border in Southern Israel. Like, like there's real life things these guys and girls are dealing with. And, and, and so sometimes the, the actual situation uh, will, will, will encourage maturity. And for some of you guys, you, you gained maturity because of your situation. You were required to step up. But I've found that spiritually, a lot of guys, we step up maybe in maturity and you know, the responsibility to earn a wage or to have a job or to provide for our families and stuff like that. But as it turns out, the Bible does deal with that too. You know, if a man doesn't provide for his own home, he's worse than an infidel. That's what the Bible says. So that's, that's given. But the Bible spends much more time than talking about, you know, becoming a mature, working, hardworking guy. The Bible spends more time talking about putting off childish things and becoming a man and mature. Uh, the idea is maturity. You know, and, and in our text this morning in Hebrews 5, it says that the, the, the Lord wants us to be men that are ready to handle the meat, the, the doctrine, the strong teaching of the word of God and not just be novices. I, I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That's great. If you're saved, good, you're saved and you're, you're able to have the, the, the milk. The, the milk is important. But there needs to be a time in your life as a Christian man that you need to start graduating from the, the milk to the meat. That's what the Bible's teaching us, the meat of God's word. Now, some of you might say, well, Brad, that's what, what, that's what we do here. We're coming to Athey Creek and you know, going through the Bible with you. And, and, and I have to say, I think that's a step in the right direction because that's one of the goals uh, really that I have is to teach the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And if you're here for any length of time, you'll cover uh, some ground. Qu here, question, how many of you guys have already done a whole lap with me through the Bible from, from every chapter, every verse, every book? How many of you guys have done that? 
Look at that, that's, that's pretty cool. Like 20 of you guys out of a thousand. That's great. If that means though you guys that just raised your hand, you've been here for at least 14 years, probably 15. Uh, the, this last lap around, has been a, it's looking like it's gonna be about a 15 year path. My first time around was 13 years. My next time around, I'm thinking about this, don't quote me on this, I'm thinking about doing a five year one. Jay Vernon McGee did the old through the Bible in five years. Uh, and uh, you know, he didn't do what I did and re- read every single word of every page of the Bible, but um, that's okay. He just, you know, remember the, like when you get to the chapters with all the names, uh, he just said, now there's a bunch of names. Uh, you can read those uh, t- tonight. Uh, but then he just jumped kind of over those. I, maybe our next time through, cause there's something about a five year plan that sort of strikes me as, uh, as valuable. So I'm praying about that next time through. That's when we get to the gospel of John. Cause when we start John, that'll be lap number three that we're starting. So, um, but yeah, if you've been around here for a while, you've covered some ground, you know, at Athey Creek going through the word. But can I just say, um, and this is not trying to be condescending or anything, but that's not enough. To be just a dude that comes to church on a Sunday, even on a Wednesday, that's really not enough. The word of God, if we really do believe it's living and powerful, shouldn't we be handling it with skill? It's compared to the sword, the sword of the spirit. And a swordsman, man, if if, if we lived in the days of the swords, you know, um, it was all about who could wield the sword with the greatest skill. skill. And and, uh, in battle, you had to handle a sword well or you'd die. Isn't it interesting the Bible compares itself to the sword of the spirit? And if you were a sword handler, uh, speaking of the word of God, how would you do today if we, were, if we were to go into battle? If we were to go into battle, how would you do at wielding the sword? And the thing that I would say to that is we are in battle. You and I are in maybe one of the worst battles spiritually that we've seen in a long, long time. Um, today is the day you and I need to be skillful in the word of God, not just sipping the milk but eating the meat of the word of God and putting away childish things and saying, let's get serious about God's holy word. Um, and, um, and that's why, you know, Paul told young Timothy, he said, oh, Timothy, he said in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Man, uh, this is one of the chief things Paul told his young protege, Timothy. Uh, man, study, study, study. And, and the word approved there, um, check out, this is the ESV version. I like ESV. Uh, it says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The word approved there, I've got it marked because there's an interesting, uh, you know, we say, we say approved like you're either denied or approved. And, and that's a pretty good word to describe this Greek word dokimos, which um, if you look up this word in the, in the Greek dictionary, this is what you'll see. Um, dokimos, it, it means it, it's considered good, judged to be worthy, genuine. Um, but this is, this is the nuance that our word approved may not fully uh, encompass. And that is pertaining to that which is approved by testing. It's, it's a test, if you would. And it's like you, you are approved because you passed the test. That's an interesting thing, dokimos. Study to show thyself approved as if you were passing a test. Man, I hated that when I was in school. I hated tests um, and I wasn't good at test taking. Some of you guys um, knew how to do testing and stuff, but uh, I was always bad, especially I hated multiple choice because I would overthink everything, you know, and I'd, I'd, I'd look at the four options and think, well, it could be this one, but, but maybe they're trying to trick us with that one. And, and I probably should have known the material better. That would have helped. Uh, um, but uh, winging it never works that well. But um, um, this idea of, of passing the test, man, for some of us, if, if the Lord gave you a biblical test today, how would you do? Um, and doctrine and knowing the things of the word of God. And it, it's almost like Paul's saying, there will be a test on this. Um, when he says, Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, testworthy, um, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now you say, okay, Brett, so I don't know, man, you know, this idea of studying the word and getting deeper than even Wednesday and Sunday, you want me to read my Bible? Yeah, every day. 
There's an idea, read your Bible every day. That's something that I think men should do. Can you imagine in medieval times, if you had a sword, you would wanna be carrying that sword, uh, handling that sword. You'd want it to be almost like part of your, your, your extremity of your hand. Uh, you would wanna know how to use it well. Um, and, uh, and that's the, the way I think the Bible's trying to present the idea of you and me as men to be able to handle the word of truth, God's holy word. Now, one of the things about this is we, we sometimes forget to talk about the why. Um, and, you know, we can talk about, you know, the what uh, all day long. Um, I'm reminded of a, of a story uh, an instructor told um, years ago. Um, he was, uh, uh, I believe, an instructor at like uh, West Point or someplace, you know, military academy like that. Um, and uh, he was constantly trying to get these guys to listen about, um, you know, survival, you know, tactics in, out in certain areas of, of the wilderness and these survival tactics in the warfare context. That was his class that he was teaching. Um, and man, he, he'd have his class, his students, all these men would come in, young men, and he'd start teaching and they'd be sleeping and drawing pictures and um, messing around and not really paying attention. And he just really struggled trying to get these guys' attention. And then suddenly there was a big shift. Suddenly, this, this instructor said, men showed up and they were taking furious notes, listening and staying after class and asking questions. And, and, um, and, and, and they were interested, deeply, deeply interested. And, uh, and then he said, what was the difference between the first group of guys and the second group of guys? And his answer, a little thing called Vietnam. Once it started becoming real, once these young men realized I could be out in the jungle and I, I might have to actually survive and figure out tactically how to keep myself alive. Um, that was the difference. So one of the problems is you and I, we can say, oh, the Bible, <laughs> God's word, yeah, that's great. Uh, we study the Bible, uh, we love God's word, but we, we, we have kind of this sleepy mentality when really the word of God is living and powerful and it's so important. It's the sword of the spirit. It's a weapon of our warfare. And as it turns out, the Bible declares you and I, we're wrestling against principalities and powers. Not, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness. There's all kinds of spiritual stuff going on behind the scenes that we need some help with. And we need to be good at handling um, the word of God. So um, that's the question, the why that's kind of important here. What does the word of God do for you as a man of God? Um, and, uh, and, and it's the one offensive weapon you and I have been given. We've been given some defensive armor, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, those kinds of things. But, but we've been given really one offensive weapon uh, to do battle in this life spiritually. What does the word of God do for us? And this is where we kind of leave the military sword sort of uh, imagery and just go to the Bible to kind of see what does the Bible do for us in these days that we're living? Um, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible is the longest chapter in the Bible. Anybody know which one that is? Psalm 119. Why don't you flip over there real quick? Psalm 119. And um, there's, there's some cool things about Psalm 119, uh, many which we could number. Um, you know, it's divided in the, the Hebrew uh, alphabet there into these chunks. Um, and it's kind of cool because it's acrostic and there's all kinds of interesting things about this. But um, one of the things about Psalm 119 is that almost every verse, I think there's only a couple verses that don't have uh, the word word in it. In it. Um, oh, but it's not just the word word, it's anything that's like linked to the, the scriptures, the word of God. You'll see statutes, judgments, precepts, laws, uh, the word, uh, the scriptures, like whatever the word is the, 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 for the word, um, you'll find it in, I think, all the verses, except for maybe uh, two, if I recall. Um, but you know, with, with 176 verses, what's Psalm 119 about? It's about the word of God but maybe even more importantly, what the word of God does. That's why I love Psalm 119. If you wanna know what the word of God is actually claiming of itself to be able to do, you look at Psalm 119. 
And, and part of me wants to sort of light a fire under us as men to say, wow, do we want some of these benefits of being a handler of the word, not just a milk drinker, but a steak eater? Um, what, what's the benefit of that? Um, well, the Bible gives us all kinds of benefits, but Psalm 119 tells us a whole plethora of those things. Let's go through 10. Uh, you can kind of flip through these little verses with me. Um, the first one that is, ha- is happiness. Um, is happiness a good thing? Um, does God, are we supposed to always be happy? Does God promise happiness all the time? No. But it does, it is interesting to me that God actually does seem to care about your happiness. Um, now, I think it's arrogant for us to think, well, God is gonna always make us happy. Well, that's, that's actually a wrong view. But, but there are things that God does to, to work on your happiness. Now, now um, here's the thing about happiness. I'm sensing today there's a lot of unhappiness from a lot of people. Um, one of the things I, I look forward to is, is the men of Athey Creek being unusually happy. Um, your children would love that. Your kids would love it if you're a happier guy, not a grouchy, frustrated guy with politics and all the things that are going on in the world today. Um, we need to kind of remember that, you know, I wished I were just a happier guy, even as, as my kids were growing up. Um, there's something about happiness, especially in a strong man that's not just delirious and weird, but a strong man who is squared away, but he actually is also a happy guy. Um, jovial. Um, that's something that um, we're, we're supposed to do as, as Christian men. Well, Brett, I don't do happy. Time to change. Time to change. God didn't save you to keep you the way you are, you big grouch. God saved you to, to change you and transform you. You know, one of the things about Jesus is um, the Bible says he was anointed with the oil of, anybody? Gladness. Jesus was not a grouch. Um, we know that Jesus had a, a, there's a, there's one characteristic about Jesus that I think stands out in my mind that makes me realize this guy was, you know, when Jesus walked the earth, man, how do I know he was a happy guy? Because children would run up to him and jump on his lap. Some of you guys, if kids looked at you, they'd go, ah, and run the other way. I think that was the other disciples, you know, Judas, Thomas, Peter, they all the kids. And, and what did the disciples, get these kids out of here. But Jesus said, oh, suffer the little children to come unto me. And he, he, he sat them on their lap, his lap and, and blessed the children. And, and they, they were drawn to him. Um, but check out some, Psalm 119, verse one. It says, blessed, that's another word for happy in the Bible, blessed. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. That's Psalm 119.1. And, and truthfully, this is something that I think that comes from reading the word. Um, the word law in this verse is the word that's associated with God's scriptures. Um, in in the, the psalmist days, um, when they were talking about the scriptures, they'd say the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Because um, it was the law, the Torah back in those days. But that, that's the equivalent to you and me today of the scriptures. So happy or blessed are the undefiled of the way who walk in the law. So when you're walking in the word, doing what the word tells you to do, the Bible says that will lend itself to your happiness. Um, we need that today as more and more people are angry and frustrated and ticked about what's going on, especially men. I do believe we need to be mature men, but maturity doesn't mean grouchy or grave all the time. It does mean gravity sometimes, but not all the time. Um, that's something to remember. So um, happiness, uh, what, a, what an important part of what the scriptures do. Uh, the second thing on the list, cleansing. Um, this is something we all need because we're tainted by this world. Man, we live in a dirty world and there's dirty stuff all around us. But what does the Bible say? Check out Psalm 119, verse nine. It says there in Psalm 119, verse nine, um, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Um, a young man can cleanse his way by taking heed. Listening up is the idea there. When, you're, when you listen to scripture, there's a cleansing effect that happens there. Um, and then look at verse 11. It also says there in verse 11, it says, thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sin against thee. 
Um, man, I love the, the cleansing effect of the word of God. Um, you and I are dirtied by this world. We see stuff that's sinful. We talk about stuff that's sinful. We, we act and engage in sinful things. And man, we need to be washed and cleansed by the water of the word of God. Um, there's all kinds of uh, stories about this in the Bible. There in Judges chapter three, remember Eglon? He made me look skinny. Eglon was this huge, the fattest guy in the Bible was Eglon. And he was, you know, this powerful Moabite Jabba the Hutt kind of character in the Bible. Um, but do you remember the story of Ehud who came in? Um, he was a lefty. And left-handed guys were kind of not really esteemed in Bible times. They wouldn't even let you go to battle if you were a lefty, um, which is kind of funny. But um, Ehud, he stored his, this little sword, this, about an 18-inch sword um, that he stored on his, uh, on his uh, right side because he was a left-handed guy. And he comes sneaking in as an Israeli going into this Moabite king's palace. I've got a present for Eglon. And uh, the, the servant said, well, what? what? And Eglon, what, a present for me? This big job of the hut guy. And Eglon says, I got a present. And he says, well, bring him in. Bring the guy in with the present. And so Eglon uh, sits there and, and, um, and, and then uh, Ehud says, listen, uh, this is a gift I only, just uh, you and me, you can't have all these servants in here. So they, all the servants, Eglon said, get them all out of here. And so they all left and, and, and Ehud closed the door and locked the doors. And remember the story? Ehud takes his sword, pulls it out and sticks Eglon in the belly. And the Bible, this is graphic, man. The Bible says, and the, and the sword went in and it just kept going. Even as, even as Ehud stabbed him and let go, the sword just kind of kept being enveloped by all the blubber. And then um, the weirdest part, it says the sword went in and do you remember what came out? Huh? Dirt. Now you're like, Brad, that was his intestines and stuff. Maybe. All I know is the Bible says the sword went in and the dirt came out. Uh, it's this horribly uh, violent story. And Ehud, you know, sneaks out and runs out the window and he takes off and, and the servants are like going, I wonder what's going on in there. And, and they, they're embarrassed, they're waiting for so long. And finally they're like, uh, maybe he's using the restroom. Uh, we better leave him alone, man. You know, it takes him a long time, you know, and all that. Uh, they just totally don't bother him for a long, long time. Well, finally they're embarrassed how long they waited. So they finally broke into the door and they found Eglog there dead with dirt lying around him that fell out of his stomach. What a horrible story, but you know what? There's a good lesson for you and me there. The sword goes in, the dirt comes out. Um, you know, it's a, it's a truth of the Bible. The, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. By the way, uh, did you know that there's two kinds of swords that are talked about in the Bible comparison, the analogy of the sword of the spirit and the word of God? There's the rhema and the logos. What, what's the difference? Those are two Greek words. Um, there's times in the Bible where it says the word of God is living and power, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. That's the word that's the equivalent of the word to that sword is the logos, which is associated with the giant battle ax type sword. You know, the, the double-edged, you know, you know in the movies when you see the guys back when they had the, the sword that was huge and heavy and double-edged and it had room for both of your hand, hands on there because you couldn't just, you know, oh, I'm not left-handed, you couldn't do that. But this one, you were like, it was more of an indiscriminate, you know, sort of whirling of the sword um, where you just kind of, if it, if it hits you, it'd lop your head off like that. Like it was just, it was just more of a, and you just kind of swing it indiscriminately. That's the logos. And the logos is the written word. But there's also another sword the Bible talks about, and that's the rhema which the rhema word for sword and the sword used there is not the battle ax sword, but it's more of a very precise, smaller instrument, more like what Ehud had when he went and stuck Eglon. It's a smaller uh, sword that's exacting. Um, like in the Bible where Joab, you know, sticks the guy just under the fifth rib. Like these guys knew how to kill people. They were experts on killing people and they'd come up and they'd, they knew right where to stick the, the little sword, the rhema to get right to the issue the heart of the issue, if you would. Now, the interesting thing about the sword, the rhema sword, is not the logos, the written word, but the spoken word that comes to you from God. 
Um, and both are swords. Uh, interesting, um, the sword of the spirit of Rhema is when the Lord just puts something on your heart and speaks something into your life. Now be careful with that one because sometimes it's not the Lord at all. It's just the pizza you had the night before. But it's actually, um, sometimes, have you ever just felt like the Lord is really speaking to you something? And by the way, you'll know that it's him if it's totally in line with the, the logos, the written word. <clears throat> but, but all that to say, um, that's, the, that's a real key in the area of, of this idea of the sword of the spirit, whether it's the rhema or the logos, it's all part of this, the, the word of God doing its work. Now, this idea of cleansing comes um, from, you know, the, the washing of the water of the word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. How shall a young man cleanse his way, you know, uh, by taking heed thereto according to the word. And then the washing of the word is also seen, of course, in Ephesians 5.25, where it says, husbands love your wives as Christ also loved the church, gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, the church, or the husband's wife, with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it, the church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Christ washes his church, his bride, in the water of the word. There's a cleansing effect uh, that takes place when you and I engage in scripture. And that's one of the things that the Bible tells us about itself. So the first thing is happiness. Uh, the second thing that we see here is cleansing. <clears throat> and then number three, what else does the word do for you and me in a day where we need to be sword handlers? It gives you counsel. Good counsel comes from God's word. Look at Psalm 119, uh, verse 24. There it says, thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. Um, you'll get good counsel from the word of God. You show me a man that kind of, has a good handle on the word of God. Um, and then he'll know what to do when those decisions come and when trials come and difficult things and job decisions and uh, family issues and child raising and marriage stuff. You show me a man that knows the word of God. I'll show you a guy who knows what to do. Um, so many of the, 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 you know, bonehead decisions that I've made in my life were the ones that I made sort of apart from or separate from the word of God. Um, and uh, it's so good when you make your, the word of God your, your counselors. It's not just that the word is your counselor, but you delight in the counsel of the word of God. Um, you won't need to be on the couch of counseling and psychology if you're a, a, a man who has a solid grasp on the word of God. Hans Eisnick uh, did a study that found that if you have emotional problems, the probability that you'll be well within one year, if you go see a psychoanalyst, is 44% better chance that you'll get well. If you go see a psychotherapist, 53% chance of getting well. If you go see a psychiatrist, you are 61% chance of getting well. If you go see no one at all, you have a 73% chance of getting well. That's the study that, that they did. Isn't that something? Um, <clears throat> this idea of counseling, Jesus, you know, when you look at Jesus's ministry, he didn't own a couch. Oh, you got a problem here? Just lay on the couch. Uh, tell me about your mother. Tell me about your childhood and all this stuff. Like, uh, you know, and I, I get that there's some, there's some value in counseling and we do counseling here at Athey Creek. Um, but I find it interesting. Jesus <coughs> never spent much time counseling, but he spoke exacting words, words that were um, of power, um, that come by the spirit. Um, and one of the things I, I think you and I would do well, rather than getting counsel uh, first course or going to all your friends for counsel or advice second course, um, the first course should be you and I searching the scriptures because the Bible says you'll get solid counsel if thy testimonies are my delight and my counselors. The word will give you that. Um, we need men that handle the sword well that they have good, solid, godly counsel. Does anybody need strength? That's number four on our list, strength. Look at Psalm 119, verse 28. My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according to thy word. Um, there's the word word for, for the word word. Uh, but what happens? Have you got a heavy soul? 
Um, that, that soul in the Hebrew is the word lev, which is your mind, your emotions. The Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint puts it psyche. My psyche melts for heaviness. Like it's, it's um, even depression might be a way to say this. And, and how does the psalmist find strength? Strengthen thou me according to thy word. We need men of strength today. Your wives need you to be strong men. Your children need you to be strong men. And, and real strength comes from a solid uh, attachment, love for, delight in the word of God. And that's, that's another one, strength, number four. Number five, freedom. Uh, so, uh, Psalm 119, look at verse 45. Psalm 119, verse 45. It says, and I will walk at liberty for I seek thy precepts. And the word precepts is the word there for word in this Psalm. Um, walking at liberty, um, man, that's something that um, is interesting because we as Americans traditionally have loved our liberty, um, but we're starting to see what it's like to be less free. Have you guys noticed that? It's so amazing to watch what's going on with the truckers up in Canada and, and, um, and, 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 and you know, what's at risk you know, here? And, and um, it's, it's fascinating to see how quickly people will you know, just give in their liberties and cash those in. Uh, it's, it, it's interesting to me how long it's taken us to actually, as a culture, to get frustrated with some of the lack of liberty that we've seen in the last two years. Um, and, and that might be something that you can say, yeah, that's palatable, I can feel that. But did you know that Satan wants to do the same thing spiritually to you? He wants to take away your liberty. Forget our national liberty for a second. More important than being you know, free Americans, I, I, I like free America, that's a good thing. Liberty's a, I, I'm thankful that we live in a country that at least at one time really valued liberty. Um, but more importantly than that is the enemy Satan wants to mess you up. And he wants to get you tied up, tangled up, and restricted, and even spiritually claustrophobic. That's what Satan wants to do. And you and I are called to freedom. The Bible talks about, you know, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Um, the Lord wants us to walk in liberty. And, and when the psalmist makes this declaration, I will walk in liberty, he says, and he says, this is why, because, I seek your precepts, your word. There's something about the man that says, I'm gonna seek the word of God and make that a real part of my life. There's a freeing effect. Um, now, some people view the Bible as the opposite. They wrongly think of that. Oh, the Bible's full of do's and don'ts and you know, rules and regulations and all this stuff. And so they think of the Bible as sort of this binding, sort of trapping sort of book of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. But actually, I think the, the liberty comes with boundaries. Oh man, I could make correlations about our national problem right now, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, but I'll leave that to you. But the idea is, as it turns out, borders or param, per, a perimeter or parameters around your freedom equals greater freedom. Um, do you guys remember that study where the, the kids were out playing in the, in the inner city? They had this big playground, but it was in the inner city. And, and uh, some you know, psychologists came out there and saw this big chain link fence around this huge playground and said, you know, that chain link fence, this is such a prison-like setting. We need to take her down the chain link fence and let these kids not be like they were playing in some prison, you know. Well, um, they took the chain link fence down and the next day when the kids got out to the playground, they all huddled in the middle of the field and didn't play at all. They were just kind of huddled at the center and they didn't play around, why? Um, they realized that by removing the big chain link fence, they felt a little more threatened and they, they just didn't have the liberty to play like they once did. So when they put the chain link fence back in, the kids used every inch of that field and played in it. And, and I, I feel like that's what the Bible does. The Bible is full of boundaries and there is a parameter that's set. Uh, but I believe that that parameter that the Bible gives us, gives us all kinds of freedom to use every square inch that's within the boundaries of the Bible. And um, I love that. Um, and the Bible talks about that. Uh, if we, if we will walk at liberty, if we seek his precepts. John chapter eight, verse 36, Jesus said, if the son therefore shall make you free, <clears throat> you shall be free indeed. It's a guarantee. So freedom comes. 
You know, if you're feeling restricted in your life and claustrophobic and tangled up and tied up, the word of God is the freeing agent. As you, as you search the scriptures and read the Bible, you'll find freedom, number, number five. Uh, number six, hope. Uh, check out Psalm 119, uh, verse 49. Psalm 119, verse 49 says, remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. I love this. Hope comes from the reading of the word of God. Um, hope is a word that we talk about and toss around so much, but uh, I'm not sure we fully understand hope. Um, like, we, I really hope I become a billionaire. Well, that's something that's probably not gonna happen for most of you. Um, well, I really hope that I can you know, uh, do better in this or that. We have hopes, but hopes tend to be something that we kind of don't think is gonna happen. When the Bible talks about hope, the word for hope is something, it's more like this, absolute expectation of coming good. Um, it's not just, well, I really hope. No, it, hope means we have something to really hope for. It's not false, it's not you know, pie in the sky, it's legitimate hope. And how do we get that? Remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. Reading the word causes you as a man to have real hope and it matures you and grows you. Um, look at Psalm 119, uh, fast forward to verse 114. Psalm 119, 114. Um, it says, thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Same thing, hope in thy word. Um, G.K. Chesterton uh, talked about hope and he kind of nails it with this sort of concept and it's a little wordy, but if you can, he was a smart guy, but he, he said, hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. Um, and there's a lot of things that are happening today where some things just seem real hopeless right now. Um, but you and I, we have the blessed hope of the return of Christ. We have the hope, blessed hope of our salvation. We know that we have the hope of God's love for us. There's so many absolute hopes that we can put our trust in that we love. Um, but how does your hope get reinforced? The reading of the word, the um, becoming more familiar with scripture, hope. Number seven, uh, comfort, comfort. Look at verse uh, 50 of Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 50. It says, this is my comfort in my affliction for thy word hath quickened me. Um, look at verse 52. Uh, it says, I remembered thy judgments um, of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Both 50 and 52 talk about how the word brings comfort. The first one, thy word hath quickened me, that means to make me feel alive again. Um, and also when I remember thy judgments of old, um, there's comfort that comes. When you become a, a student of scripture and read the word and make the word a real part of your life, you'll find yourself comforted. Um, you know, we need comfort in these confusing times. Um, again, you know, there's, there's some demeanor things that happen to a man that's in the word and that it, it rubs off onto your families. If you're walking around like chicken little, saying, oh, this guy's falling, <clears throat> then your wife's gonna walk around like chicken little and the sky is falling, and your kids will too. Um, I've seen parents that are so stressed out that their kids are stressed out. Have you guys seen this? It's really sad. Um, you know, there's some parents that are so worried about their finances that they sit around the dinner table and just like, oh man, we're going down financially. And the kids, you don't realize it, but they're absorbing your stress. The problem is you're an adult and they're a little six-year-old kid. They're not wired for that kind of stress to worry <clears throat> about where the next meal is gonna come from. You know what's great about my family is, um, you know, we, I grew up in, I didn't even know we were poor. Uh, but uh, when I look back at our situation, uh, you know, I remember there were times where we weren't even sure there was gonna be food on the table. We lived in this 1930 something travel trailer up in Boulder City, not Colorado. Um, Boulder City, uh, Applegate, way up in the mountains by Applegate Lake, there's this little tin can alley as they called it, um, where there's, they, they weren't mobile homes. That would have been really nice. A mobile home would have been an upgrade. Um, we had these, they were like maybe, they were maybe like uh, 40 foot tr sort of travel trailers that were kind of half 
mobile home, half travel trailer. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Back in the 1930s and 40s, they made these things. But I remember living there and, um, and I had no idea, but like literally um, there were a couple times where um, my dad brought fish um, and I didn't realize, but he went fishing in the river because we literally didn't have food on the table. And, and so he brought the trout uh, up from the river that he'd caught and we, we, oh, hey, we get trout tonight. Like as a kid, I was just all excited about it. Um, I thought living in Boulder City was awesome. There was, this, there was this old rickety barn where you could sneak in this little hole in the side and there were bats all over. Um, and bats used to really freak me out, but I'd run in there ah, and then run out, you know. Uh, I remember, but it was just nothing but fun and games for me. But I had no idea that we were actually really poor. And then I go look at those pictures of those days and realize, wow, we were, we were kind of, it was, those times were strapped. Um, but, but I had no idea because my parents, they put their trust in the Lord and they exhibited faith even when things weren't rosy. And then as the years went by and my dad, super hard worker and, um, and just kind of made, made a career and worked hard and eventually we ended up building our own house and then sell that and build another house. And we worked our way up from a travel trailer to actually a house with a pool. And I remember one of my friends came over and he said, man, you guys are like wealthy. You got a swimming pool. And, uh, and I remember thinking, oh yeah, I guess we are kind of wealthy, but we weren't. It was just my dad was a real hard worker. Um, and, and it's funny because, um, but I never once really saw the stress or the strain from my parents. Now, as I look back on that, the Jimmy Carter era, and I was just a little kid back then, but um, man, the inflation was almost as bad as it is today. Um, back, <laughs> little joke there. Um, uh, it was bad back then. And do you remember the gas lines and all that stuff? If you're old enough, you remember that. Like things were rough back then um, and they're getting close to that today. But, but are you um, gonna be the, the parent that's running around, oh, we're going down and your kids are gonna be stressed out and, and, and insecure? Or are you gonna remember the judgments of the Lord and, and let yourself be comforted that God is here? Oh, it's so great if you get that man that we just talked about that walks in the house and he's already happy because he's in the word. He's happy but he's also comforted so that he can come in and, and show happiness and comfort to his family. This is a man that's mature in the things of God's word. Uh, true comfort, by the way, has to have a, a foundation. And the foundation is the word of God. So comfort. Uh, quickly, number eight, direction. The word of God, uh, whoops, where, where, well, I forgot to show you Thomas A. Kempis. This guy looks like he needs a burger to me, but um, uh, speaking of, of uh, some steaks and stuff. Uh, um, but poor Thomas A. Kempis, he, he's an interesting guy. He wrote, um, uh, you know, Imitation of Christ. He's a guy that kind of went in to become a monk and he, he uh, basically lived in a concrete cell with a concrete bed and then just wrote and prayed. Um, I wouldn't recommend that for everyone, but this guy was kind of amazing in some of the things he said. But when it comes to this idea um, of, of, you know, this idea of comfort, Thomas A. Kemp said, therefore ought a man to rest wholly upon God so that he needeth not to seek much comfort at the hands of men. Um, if your comfort's coming from men, that's not a great foundation. But if it's coming from the word of God, that's the real foundation. Okay, number, number uh, eight, direction. Uh, I love this. We won't spend too much time on this because we know this. Psalm 119, verse 67. It says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept thy word. Man, if you, uh, if you wanna go astray, then just go your own way. Do your own thing. But if you wanna stay on path, on course, on task, then you let the word of God be that which you keep. Um, Psalm 119.67. Here's another one. Psalm 119.105. It says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Um, these are dark days and uh, you don't know how to navigate through some of these difficult decisions we have to make with our children and schools and how we're gonna you know, engage people and what we're gonna do with our jobs. Man, we need the flashlight. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Uh, man, I love that. Um, uh, for Christmas, I got my governing elder team some uh, Christmas presents that, uh, you know, I, I always get stuff that I kind of like and I, I just wonder if they all think I'm weird sometimes, but um, there's, these, uh, uh, there's these flashlights that are the brightest flashlight in the world. Um, 100,000 lumens. Um, 
And so I was able to get a hold of these things. Um, but uh, it's great because like when you first start this flashlight up, uh, you know, you can start it at uh, 7,000 lumens. And it's like, that's pretty bright, wow. And click it in a couple times, 10,000, ooh. And you just keep clicking. But when it gets to 100,000, like if I were to shine it on, on this wall right here, you guys would be like this. It's so bright. I'm not even shining at you. I'd be shining at this wall. You'd be like, ah. And, and then also, this is fun. You can just hold a piece of paper in front of it like this and it catches on fire. Um, like this is a really bright flashlight. Um, um, uh, it's awesome. I love this kind of stuff. I'm sorry. I know I'm weird. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I, I kind of liken the word of God to that. You know, the word of God is the brightest. And, you know, the world has its advice and its stupid, you know, um, things that it thinks it knows. Um, there's agencies that say, well, we're the expert. We'll tell you what you need to know, like the CDC or, or Fauci or, you know, those, those great uh, people who know what they're talking about. Um, you know, like these people, it, it's so funny how, have you noticed lately uh, all the things that we've been kind of believing and saying for the past two years, they're all saying, as it turns out, <laughs> natural immunity is actually one of the best things, as it turns out. It's so funny how like, they're even acting like nobody said anything, uh, even though everybody was. Um, I, I get really weary of that, but rather than getting frustrated with that, let's just stick with the word of God. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a line of, not Fauci, not CDC, not Trump, not Biden. Um, you know, people have their things, but God's word is the lamp that's bright, brighter than anything else. And God will tell you what, what, what to do, where to go, how to do it. That's, that's the word of God, which brings us to number nine, wisdom. Uh, let's fast forward to Psalm, 19, uh, Psalm 119, verse 99 and verse 100. Um, in verse 99, it says, I have more understanding than all my teachers. Some of you could write that, you kids at school, write that on your notebook. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not, I don't know, that might get you in trouble. Uh, I have more understanding than all my teachers for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than, my, than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. So those, those two verses are kind of redundant uh, in, in certain ways, but I have more understanding than all my teachers for thy testimonies, that's the word for word, are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts, another word for word of God. Um, if you wanna have knowledge and understanding, you get that from the word of God. I love, I love it. I, I always mentioned Isaac Newton as one of the greatest scientists, but he was a guy who got a lot of his beginning understanding of things from the word of God and used the word as a springboard to study his science. Um, and because of that, he had more understanding than all of his uh, contemporaries by far. I love that. Um, the Bible makes the simple smart. The dumb guy becomes smart once you become a person of the word. I love that. You might think, oh, Brad, I'm just a guy, I mean, just, I'm, I know how to rebuild a transmission, but I sure don't know about doctrine. It's okay. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to be a, a guy who loves the scriptures. Um, uh, and, the, and when you read the scripture, it makes the simple man um, become wise. Um, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, and it makes wise the simple, the Bible says. I love that. Um, one more, uh, the, the benefits of a man who's in the word, Psalm 119, uh, 165, um, whoops, um, I'm getting behind here, peace, peace is the, the next one and the last one, um, Psalm 119, 165, it says, great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Oh man, the world is seeking peace right now. Um, the, people are feeling a little bit on edge. Um, maybe you're, if you're a news junkie, you, if you're not a news junkie, you probably don't care and you're, you're totally at peace. Um, but you know, yesterday everybody's ramping up, everybody get out of the Ukraine, man. Uh, you know, Russia's right on the border, Putin's going in, Wednesday it's gonna happen and people are all freaking out and stuff like that. Um, uh, and it's an interesting thing to watch just, you know, as far as geopolitics and stuff like that, but um, just watching kind of everybody kind of panic right now. Um, the world is seeking peace, but um, you know, as it turns out, um, great peace have they which love the, thy law 
and nothing shall offend them. Uh, by the way, not only is the, their peace lacking in the world, but there's an overabundance of people being offended. Isn't it amazing? I'm so offended. I, I did a whole sermon on this one. It's called, Don't Be Offended. Um, just don't. It's dumb being offended. I'm so offended. Um, that's just so dumb. Uh, uh, the Bible actually teaches that being offended is stupid. Um, but, but all that to say, you can look that one up if you want. But, uh, um, but as it turns out, you know, this, this uh, nothing shall offend the person, the man who loves the word of God. Um, you won't be offended. Um, peace comes from that. I love that. Uh, John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Um, the world is afraid and freaked out and offended. Um, but you and I, we uh, have this peace that passes understanding. It comes from being solid men of the word because we have the sword of the spirit uh, here. And, we, and it's the very weapon of our warfare. Um, the problem is there's too many men still um, drinking the milk and not getting these benefits. These are just 10 I could go on and on uh, on a morning like this of all the benefits of the word of God. Um, did you remember, how, what, what is the deal? When we go back, would you flip back to Hebrews now? Uh, just as we close, Hebrews chapter five again, if you're still there or flip back there. Um, you know, when it says that uh, everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness is still a baby. That's what it said. But there's one thing that um, I wanna leave you with that kind of starts to get the guy on the right track of how to become a man of the word. It tells us that in verse 14 of Hebrews 5. We, we read this, but I didn't wanna just glaze over this. Uh, verse 14, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of, of full of age, or the word there in the Greek is literally matured. It's to be fully matured. Um, even those who by reason of use... Um, notice in your margin, some of your Bibles have a margin reference there uh, by reason of use or a habit or perfection. Um, why is there so many words here in the margin? It's because the Greek word is an interesting word that means use, but it's like becoming super skillful doing something because you've done it so much and by habit, you've become really good at it. Have you ever seen somebody that just has a skill that came just by doing something a million times? And, and it just kind of got, got you all dialed in and honed in. Um, I love that. I was t- telling a guy the other day, I have a, um, an old 30-06 was my grandfather's. Um, but years and years and years ago, there was a guy at Athey who worked at Leupold. And, um, and he said, Brett, I got, I got this scope uh, that would just fit on your grandfather's 30-06. And I was thinking, this would be a great gift to my grandfather. And and um, this particular scope, was they couldn't sell it because it had been used for testing. Um, and, and this is the funny thing. It was used for testing, um, and they clamped it to a machine, uh, this scope, and it, it grabbed a hold of the, you know, the bezel or whatever, and it just cranked it like 40,000 times <laughs> to see how long it would take you know, to, to show certain wearing on this scope. And it just, just sat there day after day, <laughs> just turning the scope. The funny thing is, um, they couldn't sell it because it was technically used, but I'm telling you, uh, that, that scope turns as smooth as butter. Like it, it, it I've, 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 I've you know, checked other scopes, exactly the same scope. It's like, it, it, it's nice and everything. Mine, like, <laughs> it's like butter. It's just because by reason of use, it just became, and, and you know, Leupold's so amazing. They, like I got to tour their factory a few years back and, it's amazing like the tolerances and stuff that they won't allow in certain scopes. We went to this one CNC machine where they were cutting these scopes out. I'm off course here, but you guys are okay with this, right? So, uh, so there was this, you know, all these aluminum housings for these scopes and they were being CNC'd and then they'd drop into this thing. Well, the guy that was giving me the tour, David Archer, he, at that time he, he said, check this out. And we pulled one of the scopes out, looked at it and stuff. And then we threw it back into the mix. And they said, now watch the one that we just threw in the mix. And it went through some things and um, procedures and it was on this little thing. And then all of a sudden the machine spat the one out that we touched. Um, now, why did it do that? Because it was, it was measuring tolerances and the perfection. And because of the oils on our hands, 
the machine recognized that that scope was actually out of tolerances. And that's why I got spit out. Um, like, that's an amazing thing. That's how, that's how imprecision, you know, these are. And I was thinking, wow, this is a company that just like makes these things so precise and stuff like that. But um, back to my original intent is just because that was used to crank like, you know, however many tens of thousands of times by reason of use, it actually got better uh, in time. That's what the word is saying here for you and me. You, you and I to be wielders of the sword, the only way you really get better and better with the word of God and not just drinking milk and breastfeeding is by reason of use. That's what it says here. Uh, but strong meat belongs to them that are full of age, even those by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The only way you can really start to um, mature as a man in things of the word um, and put off childish things is just use it. Use it or lose it, that's the key. Um, how do you use the word of God? Well, you, you do what you're doing now, sitting in church, studying the scriptures, that's a good thing, step in the right direction. Um, you read your word devotionally daily, but then using it in some way, shape or form, whether that's when you see your kids, give your kids a, a word of encouragement from the word of God, from something that you read that day. Um, man, we've talked about a thousand things today that you could use. Hey kids, you know, you know when you're walking at nighttime and things seem dark and scary? The Bible says, um, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And you can give your kids this great little tidbit of truth that this dark, scary world that you're in, it's not so scary because we have the light of the word of God. And just give a little word. How long did that take me? 20 seconds. You can give your kids a 20 second word of encouragement and it shows joy and you're suddenly this happy guy who's given their kids some nice, good, solid counsel. And, and you're using, you're, you're not just reading it, you're using the word of God to encourage other people, your kids. Or what about your co-laborers, people you're working with? You could share, hey, I was reading in the Bible the other day. What do you think about this scripture? And, and, and by reason of use, you'll start to handle the word of God. We've, we've become a culture that, you know, if you talk about the word, people think you're nuts. Um, my feeling on that, whatever. Talk about the word of God. Don't be afraid. I think the world is actually more shocked. The world does not know the scriptures. They think they know the scriptures. They think they know, oh, the Bible's full of do's and don'ts and the big man upstairs is this angry God who wants to kill everybody and judge. And like, they don't understand the nuances. You and I, we can use the word of God, be fully matured as men and suddenly start having the blessings that come from being a, a, a person who's strong in the word of God, a man who's mature, fully matured, not just breastfeeding anymore, but becoming a man that's enjoying good tomahawk steak. That's what you and I need to be, is men of the stake, the Amen. word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Oh Lord, we're so thankful <clears throat> for your calling that you've put upon us as men, that we would be men who truly do um, take your word seriously. Oh Lord, how thankful we are for the benefits um, from happiness to purity, to cleansing and, and, um, and counsel, Lord direction. There's so many good things, Lord. And I pray that you just help my brothers, especially the guys who think they can't do what I've just talked about. Um, Lord, your commandments are your enablements. You will give us the strength to do what your word tells us to do. So I pray you'd help us to stop making excuses as to why we can't read the scriptures or why we can't use the scriptures and help us just to be doers of your word and not hearers only. Um, Lord, I pray that you would help us with that. In Jesus' name, amen.